very much. Hey, so yeah, today is uh, today is Mother's Day, and I'm ex- this is a great day. And I recognize coming into these moments, right, that this is um, a day for us that's exciting, but for also carries a lot of emotions with us. Like I look at it, I'm super excited to celebrate my wife today, who is a mom, and also I uh, yeah, and I'm also very. It's always also a very sober moment because I lost my mom when I was 23 years old, right? And I recognize that each of us carry these types of tensions on days like this. And so as we come into today, I want you to recognize, women, I'm going to be talking to you. And the idea is I'm going to be talking about moms, but I'm really, I'm really talking about women. And I want you to know I am honestly thoroughly excited about talking about you this morning. I'm actually thoroughly excited about the message I have to share. And, and my expectation, anticipation of the morning is that you're going to walk away with maybe a, a, a new perspective, even around your own identity. And that's my goal and my hope for, uh, for this morning. And so I really can't see the day, family. So I'm going to go ahead and close this computer right here because y'all look so good this morning. Right there, yeah. There we go. Make sure I can see that look over there, right? The day family, yeah. All right, so here we go. Oh, look, it's so much better. It's so much better right there, right? Yeah, man. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. All right, let's start. Uh, let's start at the beginning. I'm going to read Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, and I'm going to begin to unpack some just some ideas and thoughts from around this. I'm going to be pulling from. A, I mean, pulling some thoughts from Larry Crabb. You ever heard of Larry Crabb? He's one of the primary Christian psychologists, also a seminary professor, uh, and wrote a book called Fully Alive fully alive. It's a book where he really just begins to talk about a biblical view of gender. Uh, Actually, that's beyond even the conversation we had last week around those two perspectives of egalitarian and complementarian. It kind of goes beyond those to a beautiful view of male and female roles and roles and life together and that type of stuff. So some of what I'm pulling is from him. Um, But with that in mind, I want to start off again with the very familiar verses from Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they together may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Father, this morning as we dive into this message, I just, I just pray. I pray for each woman here, God, uh, that as we speak, Lord, and begin to speak about identity and who they are and how you see them and, God, what's unique about them. I, I pray, Father, that where the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy in their lives, specifically around issues of identity, God, even just around the hurt they've experienced that have caused them to close off in areas that they don't want to be closed off in. I'm asking for healing, breakthrough, restoration, and an awakening for each of them this morning. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So again, my goal this morning is, yes, is to honor, yes, moms, but but more importantly, I want to honor women as I recognize that you've all been created in the image of God. That means, again, this is a difficult day for you, one that produces pain or at least one that creates some level of tension. My hope, my desire is that you would walk away still feeling honored, that you would uh, hopefully walk away feeling in some level known. And again, I will speak to motherhood, but how I speak about it will reflect on women as a whole and how I believe that you are designed by God. 
So designed by God's an important phrase. I want to start at the beginning, right? The creation of mankind, humanity. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us clearly that it's all-powerful God who created all things out of nothingness for the purpose of bringing him glory like we talked about last week, right? That he created male. He created male and then shaped and formed and created female, both in his image. It's important to note that image doesn't necessarily mean physical form, or that's definitely secondary, but instead primarily means all the unseen traits, all the unseen traits of God, the idea of thought and thinking, of will and of desires and, and emotions, this full picture of the image of God that he then placed in the context of male and female in their lives. When God created male and female, and I want you to hear this, he called them good, meaning whole. This is super important. There's a starting point for you as women. There's a starting point, honestly, for men, but your week's coming up in several weeks, right? If we talk about women this morning and we talk about who you are, it begins with this phrase in God saying, He created male and female and called them good. Mankind, whole, the idea of whole, complete, imperfect, without spot and blemish looking, kind of this Hebrew word good being deeper than how we use it, means this wholeness, this completeness. He looked at it with great pleasure, great delight, without spot, perfect. I want to say this morning to each of you, as women specifically this morning, your identity your identity must always begin with God's word when he said, you're good. And who you are, how I've designed you, your makeup, the form and fashion that designs you, that I've designed you with, the image that you're in, I want you to know that I say it's good and that you're good. I don't know about you, but I talk to lots of women who don't let that voice of God become the defining and primary starting point for how they view their identity. Culture defines it lots of different ways, right? Primarily in a physical form. And God looks and says it's well beyond that. The designing point of my, na- of my nature was to create something that is good. And that, my friends, begins the starting point for your identity. How well do you tap into that part of what God's already said about you in his design as an image bearer of the king, the God who created all things in perfection and said it's good. In their formation, male and female, again, they're not God, but scripture is very clear they are like him. And in that likeness specifically, they have this unique ability in comparison to every other living thing, to be in relationship, to be loved and to love, to know and be known, to enjoy and to be enjoyed. We were made, you were made like God, relational, designed to be in relationship. But the thing I want you to recognize is that you were created perfectly, in a perfect way, to be in relationship with God. 
right? When it talks about being made like God, unique like God, being made relational, yes, it's relational with other people, but to be relational with God himself, that's powerful. You literally have been designed in such a perfect way that you've been perfectly designed to be in relationship with him. That's powerful. It's beautiful to see the way that you were designed, fashioned by God to be relational, unlike any other creature, any other being. As it relates to to design, it's vital to remember how male and female were created as equal in the Garden of Eden. In that moment of creation, God created male and put his image and his attributes in the male. And then God said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone, right? So he reached in and took out a rib, right, and pulled it out and then formed and fashioned woman to recognize it wasn't just this physical rib he put in. He took his own attributes. He created it, took his own attributes, his own piece, his own self, pulled it out of man and then put it into woman, and so now, male carry the attributes of God, and females carry the attributes of God, and males carry the image as image bearers of God, and females are now image bearers of God. Powerful, both being created with God attributes. They were both given authority here over creation. But it's clear in Genesis 1 and 2 that neither was given authority over the other in the creation story. Instead, they were partners, equal partners, co-laboring together, ruling over together. The two attributes of God now ruling together as one in their marriage. Like, we're not talking about the issue of sexuality today because it's Mother's Day. We're pushing that to the 22nd. But I want you to know just kind of a little precursor for me when I begin to talk about sexual ethics and sexuality in general. For me, it begins with the created order, male and female, created both carrying the attributes of God. And the only way that they're able to then be one is if you then draw them back together. That's the idea of marriage, two becoming mysteriously one so that both sets of God's attributes are then are recombined in the way that he intended. That should wreck you. It should wreck you to understand how men and women work together and how God designed them and how they're actually both powerfully incomplete without the other. Both given authority. They were both created to destined, destined to equally rule together as they both express their equal God traits. There aren't like primary God traits and then secondary God traits. God is God. And they are equal in traits. Both powerful. Women, recognize. Listen, women. Recognize and celebrate this morning. You carry, you embody, and you possess God's traits in you. And so when you heard this person say, I am woman, hear me roar, 
Yes, because the Lion of Judah resides in you with his mighty roar as God, and you are powerful. You are mighty. You are in his image, and you are not to be looked down upon. You are not to be less than, right? His traits in you is what gives you the right to roar. Not just being a woman, but being a woman created by God and designed by him with his traits and his attributes inside of you. Yes, men, you can roar too. Because in this, yes, we are both caring, but we are different. We are different. We are unique. They each carried God's unique traits in them. Again, only when they were combined together in unified effort were they once again expressing the fullness of God traits. But it's good, women, to recognize that you are different. It's good to recognize that you are unique, beautifully designed by God. And listen, this is important. I wrote this down and I sat there and looked at it for a while. You are uniquely positioned to express traits of God in a way that men can't. Matthew Henry once said, you've all heard of him, probably one of those theologians of old. I use this in almost all of my weddings. If I've done one of your weddings, I've probably said it. I'm going to say it here this morning. It's on the screen. You can look at it with me. It says, she was not made of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Let's leave that for, leave that for a second, because I think somebody should take a picture of that. I think you should hold on to this one right here, y'all. This is a keeper. That's why I say it in most of the weddings that I do, because it's just a keeper. It's so good. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it to you again online. Here we go. She was not made of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. Doesn't that just sound right? It's like, yes. Men are, listen, men are truly incomplete without you. They're truly incomplete without you in the home. They are truly incomplete without you in the church. And men are truly incomplete without you in the workplace. Why? Because if they don't have you, they're missing half of the God traits. The party pulled out of man and put over here and says, I'm keeping this here so you'll recognize you better live humble because you need her, because you need these God traits. Wherever you go and whatever you do, If you don't have woman who's speaking into what's going on, and then you are missing half of God. It's important theology here, my friends. But here's the deal, women. You need men. The danger of our extreme feminism and of our culture today is women think they don't need men. And I'm telling you, by design, if you don't have men, then you're missing the other half of God. We need each other. And I'll be honest with you, if we could embrace even just that humility in marriage, in the workplace, in church, a lot of things would go a lot better in life. 
I hope that even as I'm saying it, you're letting some things sink in around this reality. I know, as you do, differences are difficult to talk about in our culture for a myriad of reasons as difference between men and women. Women, I, 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 I can't understand because I've never walked in your shoes, but I theoretically understand how you feel threatened in talking about differences because historically differences have meant that you've been an oppressed people group who were told for generations that you were inferior, that you were weaker, and that you were less than. You were told that you were not equal citizens. You didn't have a right to vote, to own land. You couldn't even have health care, right? Among a myriad of other very, very vital, life-giving, important things, right? Differences equated to less than, and you felt it, haven't you? But biblically speaking, that's not the case. Differences through the lens of God and Scripture means different but equal, different but godlike. One thing it does not mean is inferior. It does not mean inferior, it means equal, different but equal, different but capable, different but working together to create the whole. Let's look at the phrase male and female, Genesis 1.27. Listen, I'm not going to unpack this, to be honest with you, in a thorough and good enough way to get myself all the way around it to feel 100% like I validated the scripture of what it means. I want you to know that in advance, I would go and encourage you to study it on your own. You have that ability, right? Genesis 1.27, simple words, just five, six words here. One, two, three, four, five, six, yep. Male and female. Here it is right here, male and female, he created them. It's interesting to know in Hebrew, there is not, there's really not a language like Hebrew that breaks down like everything between masculine and feminine. It's just a really interesting dynamic and trait about Hebrew. Almost every word is broken down, either a masculine word or a feminine word. And so here, obviously, male is a, is a, is a, is a male word, right? Is a, and, and then you have uh, the female word here for female, right? Just, and so in this, both words are different in the Hebrew. Female is nekavah. Nekavah, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but Nekavah, I'm just showing you how smart I am. I'm just kidding, I read it and studied it. Male is Zakar, Zachah, Zachah, something like that, right? I listened to it this morning to figure out how to say it, okay? Now, pastors who come up here and act like they know everything, most of them don't. They just kind of just read it that morning, the day before, I'm just saying. All right, now. Now, again, we talk about these words like our q and I can't fully define them. They obviously have a myriad of meanings, and depending on what theological circle you run in, people will actually define them just a little bit differently, honestly, to make their theological case, to be completely honest with you. But what is clear is that in these, we are made in God's image, but we are unique. If you take away, like there's, we are created in His image, but, in, but we are unique. Again, in his book, Fully Alive, Christian Psychology, Seminary Professor Larry Crabb, he speaks to the uniqueness of each word, and specifically about female in verse 27. He speaks to this idea, and I'm going to just kind of pull from him. He says it speaks to the idea of God creating, this is the important piece about what makes you unique, what's different, the idea of God creating women in an image 
of invitation to be open specifically in a relational way. An image of invitation, women by nature are invitational, women by nature are open, and specifically open in a relational way. It's really interesting that that word nekavar, it literally means to bore a hole into. To bore a hole into. It means to let if God literally came in and, as in my mind, like created this like cavern, a hole here. For something to fill, I'll be honest with you, yes, you could make an illusion, forgive me for saying, but for the nature of sexuality. But it's beyond that. It's as if God literally said, I'm boring a hole into you so that you can be invitational and relational so that when people need a refuge, they have a place to hide in you. That's the picture of a unique God design, again, to be open specifically in a relational way. Again, I'm oversimplifying the argument this morning for the sake of the message, but it carries this rich meaning that, that we were designed, women, that you were designed by God to be open, inviting, vulnerable, and relationally loving in a way that's actually unique. Obviously, men can do these things too, But I think we would all recognize, even experience tells us that very often women carry these unique God traits in a more specific way. I've told you the story. I heard it in seminary. Stuck with me. I don't know if you know this, but up in the like the early 19, uh, excuse me, the early to mid 1900s, like 1940s, 1950s, every study about humanity only included men. So is it related to how they relate to how do human beings relate to stimulus, to stimuli or to, to emotions, or how they emotionally respond to things, that only people who were involved in those studies in a scientific way were men because women weren't seen as valuable and capable of actually anything worth value to then go study. And so this woman came along named Madge Dawson. She began the idea of women, like this, she began women's studies. And I'll never forget, we talked about her in class for a while, and one of the studies that stuck with me was that she, one of the very first times she did this study where she took a large group of men and a large group of women and asked them all the same questions, all the same questions. And one of the questions that stuck out to me, and the response was powerful, she said, here's a question, ask these two groups. You walk around the corner, and you see a woman on the ground who has been beaten with a man standing over her. You come around the corner, the man looks at you, jumps, and runs away. How do you respond? It's fascinating, because then the response... Over 80% of the men said, oh, I would see him, I would get angry, and I would run after him because I would, he deserves to be brought to justice. And either I'm going to bring it to him myself or somebody else is going to. I'm going to go track him down and make sure justice is doled out. 80% of women, more than 80% of women said, I would immediately run to the woman 
I would get on my knees, I would draw her into me, and I would make sure she was okay. Because she's all that really matters. I just want you to know, okay, you can't see it. Lots of women are smiling and going like this right now. Now recognize, doesn't mean women don't want to bring justice, doesn't mean that men don't want to bring compassion to the moment. But in the design, there's a uniqueness. I'll never forget Randall and I. This is one of those great memories about news. We're sitting, I don't know if we were, I can't remember if we were in Omaha, I can't remember if we were in Orlando, or I think it was Orlando. Little, our girls were really young at this time, obviously, and and so uh, there was like the news is on behind us, and, I, and this story I wasn't paying attention, but I heard this. I heard the person say, "In in other news, a man stopped at the wrong bus stop today." And I'm like, "What?" And I kind of turned, and the story was this: it said, "Bus school bus pulled up to a four way stop, and John Smith." was waiting at the bus stop because he'd been stalking this young girl. And he had chosen this day to kidnap her and take her away. Every person's like, right? Kathy's like, oh my gosh, right? But unbeknownst to him, her uncle and adult male cousin were on the other side of the four-way stop and watched as he got out of his car, walked over to her, grabbed her backpack, put his arm around her, and pushed her towards the car. And this is what she said, y'all. It's so funny. It's not funny, right? You're like, oh, my gosh, terrible, but it's so funny. The lady goes, the uncle and the cousin subdued him until the police came. And then they put a picture up of John Smith. And let's just say this. He was unrecognizable in face because he was so bloody beaten and bruised. Right? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best story ever. Josh just got doled out right there. You know what Randall said? Is the girl okay? I remember like it was yesterday, right? And I'm like, ah. Which one is better? Which one is more powerful? They're uniquely God traits that are equal in expression, equally needed. And if we did not have both of those expressions, then what would happen? One, we would not be God-like, and we would not actually be ministering in the way that we've been designed to minister. I love... I love Mary, the mother of Jesus. I like all of Jesus' best girlfriends. I love in John 19, 25, when all the guys had been chicken, ran away while Jesus was being crucified. All these menly men, I'll never turn away from you, Jesus. I will go down to death with you. They all run. Verse 25, John 19 says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. That should move you. They sat there with this hole 
And as close as they could get to Jesus, they're just loving him, trying to fill him with the knowledge that he's not alone, that he's loved. It's just like the mom arm seat belt from the 1980s. You know what I'm talking about? Car stops in the front. We don't have seat belts on, right? And what it, well, all of a sudden you recognize there's an arm right here doing this, holding you up. That's what happens, right? It's the mom seatbelt. A little bit different, but quite the exact same thing as Jesus' mom, right? Hold the heart. My kid's going to be okay, and I'm not leaving. I'm going to protect and fight for and bring in and fight for and sacrifice my own arm. Sacrifice right here because it was dangerous to be affiliated with Jesus. That's why the guys left, and the women said, forgive me for saying it just like this, but I think they're saying, screw you. Sorry. We're going to be here. We're going to, we're going to be here with, with Jesus. God bore out a hole in our heart that has affection for him, and he's not going to be alone. Mary, God, Jesus was moved. He said, he looked at Mary this moment and says, Mary, and he said, look at John Mark, said, now, this is your son. He will take care of you. He was moved with compassion for his own mom in the moment. I want you to hear me say, women, compassion is not a sign of weakness. It is a trait of God. It is a sign of God's love expressed and giving oneself away to someone in need. It's a sign of sacrifice. And I think we would all agree that it is much easier to fight someone than to sacrifice for someone. Sacrifice and compassion as a powerful trait of God, yes, is found in both genders. But I would argue that it's more natural in women. It's a sign of God's image in you and a sign of God's power and God's strength. And every man sitting here says, yes, I'm better when I'm around you when you're expressing what doesn't come quite as natural to me. I want you to hear me say that as a pastor and as a man. I celebrate these traits. I love seeing them in men. I do. I love when they kind of get in, get in touch with their, the God traits that are primarily given to females or expressed in females. But, man, I just appreciate that women, when they embrace this, they engage it, when they ask the question, is she okay? Oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. This is what men do. Oh, okay, she looks okay, she looks okay, and they run off, right? <laughs> she's, I think she's okay. But here's a tension with being open. There's a tension with this. The tension with being open, vulnerable. The tension with being willing to powerfully sacrifice. It carries with it a terrible risk. Crab says it this way. I think it's on the screen. When a woman, <clears throat> a woman relates to others with Christ's invitational beauty, i.e., open to welcome rather than clothes to protect, available to nourish, rather than just positioned to receive and get. She risks losing everything she values, everything except God. The idea is those who are most willing to open themselves up to others are also the first ones to get hurt and to close themselves off when they are rejected and hurt. 
Does that identify with anything you've experienced, women, in your life? Do you open yourself up to your children and they hurt you? Do you open yourself up to your spouse and they hurt you? Open up yourself to your own parents, vulnerable. They can't receive it and they hurt you. In those moments, then women begin to live to avoid what they fear most, rejection, hurt, pain, rather than sacrifice and live to gain what you actually want most, which is relationship. A lot of times women, and this is men too, y'all, but when they get, when we get hurt, it's just we because we're all like this, when we are hurt, we pull back, we get busy, we do more, we focus more on our fear than our possibilities, we hover rather than empower, we control rather than release, all at the same time feeling, not feeling like yourself because you're closed off, not able to take the hole that you have and fill it with sacrifice and vulnerability for those that are in need. You were created in God's image. And when you can't express that, when you can't express that, then you're not able to feel like yourself. So what steps can you take in this idea of vulnerability, openness? When, what steps can you take to recapture this God image, these God traits? Number one, confront your core. These are on the screen. There's four of them. Confront your core terror. Seek healing. Tell the enemy no and choose to be vulnerable. Confront your core terror. Again, each of us, right? Rejection, being alone, being hurt, being let down. Can you name it for yourself? If you're not aware of your core terror, you have one. And it's just really healthy for them to be honest and to name that. When you name it, you're going to feel like you stepped into a big pile of poo. Because that's just what happens the first time you're fully honest about your pain, suffering, and hurt. Right? The picture uh, David Siemens used in his, uh, one of his book on healing Damage for, healing for damaged emotions, he says, this is the analogy of a trash can. You stuffed your hurt, to be honest, right, and to confront your core terror is like taking the lid of the trash can off where that stuff's just been festering. So, yes, it stinks for a while, right? So the number two, seek healing. So you, can, you, you confront your core terror, and then you invest the time needed to be honest and heal, the time. Isn't that the reason you don't confront it? Because you just know it's going to take so long and, you, and you're just too important to make the time or you just have too much going on to make the time, which is just a lie from the enemy. And to be honest with you, a, a lie about your own self-value. The greatest thing that you can do for Jesus, you can do for your friends, you can do for your children, you can do for your investing into is to get whole and to get healed and take the time. Number three. There comes a point when you just tell the enemy no. 
Tell the enemy, no, listen, there's a very real enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to embrace your rejection. He wants you to overfunction so you don't have time to be honest. He is feeding you lies every day. And one day, it could be today, you just wake up and say, no, I'm not listening to that lie of shame anymore. I've been designed and called perfect and good by God and who I am and his image and my identity. That's what defines me. I'm going to walk through this but no and number four oh wait wait seeking healing um so you're gonna have to listen sorry i just i'm totally going backwards here um in a small group wise mentor counselor you're not designed to walk through these things by yourself you need to walk through with other people probably not your spouse okay number four Choose to be vulnerable and open again. The idea is when we've been hurt in our vulnerability, our knee-jerk reaction is to not do it again. And I would just say this, by the grace of God, empowering you, the power of God's spirit inside of you, would you open yourself back up again to those that are in need? Because when you do, you'll go, I was made for this. I was made for this. Women, you possess the image and traits of God. Your identity is defined by it. You are not inferior, nor are you superior. That's where we get it wrong in our culture. We think we have to do like, oh, so it's been like this. We need to make it like this. And that is not Jesus. It's this. Not inferior, nor are you superior. You are equal to men in the eyes of God. You are, you, you are uniquely designed by God, formed and fashioned by God with a hollow open space, and you're designed to invite others in to care for, love, to nurture, to sacrifice for, and to be vulnerable with. And it is powerful. And it's God-like. And you, my friends, were perfectly designed for it by God. Does that get you a little bit excited? All right. You're not weak. Your vulnerability is your superpower. And I would say I know it's hard. Let me pray for you. If you're sitting next to a woman, whether she's in front of you, appropriately put your hand on a shoulder somewhere. If you're not sitting next to your mom, just go ahead and take some time and get near your mom. Women, we need you. Family, your family needs you. Our family needs you. The church desperately needs you. The world needs you. And I recognize that Almost all of you are carrying a hurt, a pain, a disillusionment, a frustration, a tension, a core fear, 
something that you feel like is disqualifying you, keeping you. So with hands on you, I want you to recognize that you are not forgotten. You were known, you were seen, and you were loved. If by chance you don't have a hand on you, I just want you to know in spirit, I don't know how it works. I'm not going to say angels are with you. I don't know how that works. But I will say for confidently that Jesus is with you. He's either holding you or he is standing right beside you, his arm around you, or he's behind you with both hands tightly on your shoulder, and he's smiling no matter where he is. He's like, this is my girl. I want to say just on behalf of all the people in your life who either have or have not said it, thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your superpower. Thank you for being willing to be rejected like Jesus is every day, but to still choose to love. Jesus, I thank you for each woman here, each woman who is watching us online. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for your design. Thank you for your God traits you placed in them, your attributes that now define them. I thank you, Father, that you look at them and where culture defines them in a certain way, you're like, "Mm mm-mm is just not me and I pray Father you'd help them to transition into knowing themselves and seeing themselves through the lens of Jesus and the identity that you create and recognizing our culture lies to them every day they are beautiful powerful and amazing I pray today Jesus that they would I pray they'd be, feel special around those who love them, but I pray more importantly in spirit that they would know how special they are in your eyes. And you say, hey, I designed you and it's good. So Holy Spirit, do the work and, do the work that you do as the Godhead and remind us of every word that Jesus said convict us of of truth and of righteousness but I pray also in the name of Jesus you would convict us of every lie of the enemy and we would say no in Jesus name we need they need your grace Lord your help your power they cannot do it in their own strength they are weak but in their weakness you're strong and I'm just asking for the strength of the Creator God is coursing through them through the work of your Spirit, God, to empower them to say yes to you and no to the lies of the enemy. In Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
before we come to a time of ministry and ministry teams, you can go ahead and come forward if you'd like. Obviously, Laura's painted our painting today. I know whether you'll see a Mark Lamb over there, but it's a nest with a butterfly flying out. And the idea is the nest represents this nature of nurturing, the nature of women who carry this heart of Jesus, right, holding this egg in here. But the nature of the butterfly, obviously, for, for in Laura's painting, she just represents the nature of transformation that occurs for women. You think about the transformation of the chrysalis. It's kind of marrying these two images. The nature of the chrysalis comes in, caterpillar, and all of a sudden transformation happens and it comes out as a butterfly. So it's speaking to this nurturing heart, but also the transformation that God is always bringing about in you. And then we just say thank you, Jesus, for that. This morning we'll have ministry teams again who are already on both sides. I want to invite you, what's going on, to come and receive prayer this morning, men and women. Come and allow God to minister to you, to speak to you, to invest into you this morning. We have communion available every Sunday morning. And having, every morning, we, we want to remember that the only reason we're here is because of the blood of Jesus poured out and his body broken. It's a powerful remembrance every Sunday that we're only here because of his sacrifice where he opened up what I would say is this, this trait, this God trait of the whole. And so with great compassion, I will spread my arms out wide as an open invitation to anyone who wants to come. So I invite you to come, to remember, to celebrate, and recognize as we take communion, there's just a, a grace available every time for this movement of God's Spirit and awakening to a powerful reality that He is with you today. So, you respond as the Lord leads again, there's offering, offering back, like it's, we'll talk about that later, but offering baskets again, if you can come forward, you like one trip, she can come forward and do that. Don't leave. I got. We have an announcement in here in a few minutes. We're going to pray out for someone who's going to be leaving vintage. Uh, but take the next few minutes and let's just pray and let God minister to us.
pray for Toby. This is Toby's last Sunday with us for a while. Toby uh, announced, I guess, today that he is moving to Nashville. Uh, it's been, we've been talking about different things for a while and timing and stuff, but this is the season. So if I were to so show of hands, how many of you are sad? play guitar, but telling Harvest, I, I just, I don't know, I feel like God's called me to, to, to do worship, I just sit over here and practice on Sunday mornings, and while y'all do it, I can just play over here and practice. She's like, sure, so for a month, he'd come every single morning, I don't know, super early, 7, 7.30, and he'd just sit out there and he'd start playing guitar, until one morning I showed up and he's on stage, and I walked to Harvest, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he got out there that morning and just played his guitar and he just worshipped. And everybody went, oh, he carries it. He carries it. So here he is now. Decided one day, hey, I think I just want to learn how to play keys and leave the keys. And then like a month later, he's like, right? Tickling him, maybe leading us in worship. So... Anyway, I, Toby, on behalf of everybody, I just want you to know that we love you. <laughs> and, uh, we're super sad you're going, but we're super proud of you. And we're behind you 100% wherever we go. And, uh, so, I want to pray for you and put your hands forward. Jesus, I, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm blessed and honored to call Toby friend. Call him a spiritual son. It's good looks for me, Jesus. He's welcome. And God, I just pray an unbelievable blessing and favor upon his next steps. God, he's just—he's so easy to love, and I know where he goes, he'll be loved. But we pray, Jesus, that I'm praying, God, that you would open up doors he should walk through, but you would close doors he shouldn't. Pray, Father, people that God who to, that you have for him relationally, that God you'd open that door and you have discernment to know God who not to connect with. And we just ask God, would you bring him home sooner than later? That he would know God with great conviction that he is loved, supported, and encouraged. In Jesus' name, God's God's people said. Amen. Amen.